The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. Let us stand to worship the living God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Lift up your hearts. Father, we thank you for, the, for calling us to gather as your people to boldly come into your presence through the blood of your Son, who has washed away our sins and who cleanses us from an evil conscience. Please accept our praises for your sake. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue in our Lord's Day exhortations through the fruits of the Spirit, we come this morning to gentleness. As with all these fruits, they are born in us by his power and not our own. This doesn't mean that there is no effort on our part because we are told to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So yes, it requires diligence and sweat, but we must view our part as standing on, enveloped in, and empowered by the Spirit. This is not mixing faith and works in any meritorious sense because that is ex explicitly ruled out. Rather, this is a natural outgrowth. We bear fruit because we are spiritual fruit trees. Excuse me. Gentle or gentleness appears over 20 times in English translations of the Bible. In Proverbs, we find two striking images of gentleness in its disarming uh, power. From 25.15, a gentle tongue can break a bone. From Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Gentleness is incredibly powerful. But what exactly is it? How do I distinguish gentleness from timidity? How do I distinguish gentleness from weakness? We need look no further than the example of Jesus. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus describes himself as gentle. We see this in the broader picture of the gospel um, as well. God is gentle with us. He knows our frame and he deals with us accordingly. Gentleness is mercy and kindness in action. Gentleness is mercy and kindness in action. Or we could put it this way, gentleness is the power the power of mercy and kindness. In the gospel, Jesus calls us to drop our heavy burden and take up his yoke, which he says is easy and light. This is gentleness. As we live in community with one another, and as God's spirit grows this fruit in us, we increasingly see others where they are at. We recognize their frame, and we interact with them accordingly. A gentle person does not insist on the letter of the law, Rather, having experienced the gentleness of God toward himself, he extends gentleness to others. 
Wise and gentle parents do not give their children a list of their sins and then demand that they grow up. Wise and gentle parents know the frame of their children. Some of them need, some need us as parents to gently come alongside and encourage them and show them how to take some small steps toward maturity. Some do need a direct rebuke, but the rebuke should always be aimed at unburdening them, not adding additional burdens to them. This is not weakness. This is not timidity. This is the power that can break a bone, that can turn away wrath, that can strengthen and encourage those who are heavy laden. Gentleness is mercy and kindness in action. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Father, we need your help and your grace to come before you boldly. Give us that grace now. Open our eyes to see our own sin and confess it to you. Stop us when we look for the sin in the lives of others. We know that Jesus is our sympathetic and gentle high priest. He knows our struggles. You invite us to come in his name, and so we do know we do so now. And we confess our individual sins to you now as well. And Selah. We ask all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, and amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. Our sermon text this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'll be reading uh, sections of it, verses 1 through 6. In verses 11 to 16, give your attention to God's word. Now it shall come to pass when all of these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it he shall prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers and the lord your god will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live for this commandment which i command you today is not too mysterious for you nor is it far off it is not in heaven that you should say 
who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that, that you would say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it back to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word that we can open up before us now. Lord, we pray that your spirit would open us up to your word. Pray that through this we would have a right understanding of our own condition, our own unfaithfulness. More importantly, that we would see rightly who you are and your faithfulness. I pray that this truth would transform our hearts and the result would be worship for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and amen. amen. Please be seated. So we come to the final uh, sermon of Deuteronomy. This is the conclusion of Moses's charge to the people of Israel. And this is also our uh, final sermon in our series that we've been working for through the last couple months, Faithfulness for the Next Generation. Um, so uh, just a little calendar note. So next, next week, Pastor Toby will be coming. He'll be preaching, I'm sure, on something Thanksgiving-related. And then December 2nd, uh, we begin the Advent uh, um, time of the calendar. So look forward to that. Prepare to deck the halls, make and marry. So, but we're here at the end of Deuteronomy. And an appropriate question to ask is, what does God want from his people? What does God want from us? The answer is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to his law. And we see that the, the book of Deuteronomy means second law. And the majority of this book is taken up with God reviewing his Ten Commandments. Right, but even though that the majority of this book is about the law, God does not want a nation of box checkers. Right? God does not want a nation of legalist do-gooders, of rule keepers. The law of God reveals God's desires for the heart's of his people. He wants his people to love him with all of their heart. Now remember, that is the first and the greatest commandment, that your heart would love the Lord. And that's where all faithfulness begins, with you loving the Lord your God. <laughs> but God knows, God knows that his people will be unfaithful. God knows that his people will not have this wholehearted love. The reason for this is because their hearts are wrong. Their hearts are wrong. But 
God still wants them. God still wants you as his people. In Deuteronomy 29, the last chapter that that Matt worked through yesterday, uh, Moses gathers all of his congregation, gathers the congregation. He says, we got the leaders, we got the husbands, we got the wives, we got the little babies, we got the junior hires, we got the guy who just joined the caravan, gathers everyone together to make this covenant, to renew this covenant. And the Lord says, that the Lord may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you. This is what is at the center of this covenant. God says, I will be God to you, and you will be my people. Guess what? God knows what he's getting into. God knows what he is signing up for, and it is a congregation of sinners. That's not a surprise to God. God knows what kind of people these are. God knows what kind of people he is saying, you will be my people. And they are an unfaithful lot, to say the least. And he is already preparing to forgive them, to restore them. From the very beginning, we see that this covenant is a covenant of grace. God's preeminent grace to a sinful, to an unfaithful people. In this sermon, we see the gospel truth that God is faithful even when his people are not. And that God will do for his people what they cannot do for themselves. That circumcised their hearts. Circumcised their hearts and the hearts of their children. And all of this is possible because the word, the word, Jesus, is very near to them and to you. So to understand the Lord's faithfulness and the Lord's grace, first we got to know Israel's problem, which, side note, is also our problem. Why can't Israel be faithful? You wonder, he's just like, man, how thick are these guys? The boneheadedness, the stupidity of Israel. Like we think, that, man, if I was back there, if I had a front row seats to see God's wonders in Egypt, or if I was there at the Red Sea, if I was there in the wilderness, you know, if I had heard the word of the Lord coming out of the cloud, like, man, if I was there, I would have been really obedient. <laughs> what's, what's with these guys, right? What's their problem? The Lord says that their problem is that God has not given them a heart to see or ears to hear. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 29, verses 2 through 4. And this is the very, very introduction of this covenant charge that Moses gives. He says, Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trial which your eyes have seen, the signs and these great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. 
Israel saw the hailstones, right? They saw the locusts, they saw the blackness, they saw the Red Sea, they saw the manna, but it says they did not really see. They heard the thunder on the mountain, but they did not really hear. And Jesus identifies this. He says, hearing you will not hear. Or, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Israel was hard of hearing because they had hard hearts. Israel were blind because they had blind hearts. Right? They saw the wonders of God. But this sight did not stir in them, in their heart, a love for the God who works wonders. They saw it, but it did not stir a love in their heart. Right? They, they heard that God treasured them, right? but they did not treasure God in their hearts. And it's not only just like seeing and hearing. Like if we read the rest of the chapter, if you hear about the rest of the story of Israel, Israel was living in the blessings of God's presence, right? You just keep reading. He talks about, man, you, you had shoes that didn't wear out. Your clothes didn't wear out. You had miracle bread. You drank miracle water. You were surrounded by the blessings of God in this covenant community, surrounded by gifts. And yet, you still despised the giver. You still ignored God's word. That means that you can be surrounded, you can hear about God, you can see God work, you can even be around the blessings of God and still not get it. Israel's problem was their heart. They don't have the right heart because God has not given them the right heart. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And this is not merely Israel's problem, but mankind's problem. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart is hypocritical. Right? Your heart deceives others, and your heart can deceive yourself. And Moses gives an example of this in Deuteronomy 29, just a few verses later. He talks about this guy, a covenant member. Right? This guy has listened to all the sermons by Pastor Moses. Right? He's heard uh, about all the blessings and about all the curses. He's heard about you, the call to be faithful, to obedience. But this guy's heart turns from God, and he presumes he's still good. He turns from God, but he says, hey, I'm still under the blessings of God and ignores the curses of God. This is what it says. When he hears the words of this curse, then he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. Right? That's how your heart can deceive yourself. 
Right? You see yourself as good, right? as blessed, but really you're not. You've turned from God. Right? It's kind of a joke right, to, to say, you know, to live your life like you see yourself through an Instagram hashtag. It's like, yeah, hashtag blessed, right? I'm good, right? But it's not funny when that is your reality before God, when you are not under the blessing of God, but under the curse of God. The deceptive heart is a desperately wicked heart. And an honest examination reveals that this is true. Right? Wickedness, wickedness is not merely out there. Wickedness is right here. Wickedness is in your heart. There's desperate selfishness. There's greed, revenge. You have a desire to humiliate others. There's rape. Words scar. Husbands beat their wives with their words, with their hands. Mothers murder their babies. You don't have to look out there to see all of that. It's here. The heart is wicked and desperately so. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Right? While you may be deceived in your heart, God is not. He hears. He sees. He knows the heart of man. He knows your heart. And he is not fooled. The Lord, the Lord knows that his people will turn. They'll turn from him. They'll give their hearts to other gods. They will be unfaithful to this covenant. Right? The Lord knows what's going to happen you know, next day to this next generation, during the times of the judges, during the times of the kings of Israel. Right? They're going to be unfaithful, and he knows that he's going to use the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians to conquer Israel and bring the curses on them. The Lord knows his people will be unfaithful. And he knows this not just about the congregation of Israel, but the Lord knows this for the congregation of Christ's church downtown. The Lord knows this is you. This is your heart. This is your actions. The Lord knows you will be unfaithful. You will be unfaithful. You will sin in your marriage vows, in your parenting, in your studies, in your friendships. And because you've been unfaithful, then you suffer the curse in your marriage, in your parentings, in your friendships. You have been unfaithful. And if that is the end of the story, if that is the end of the sermon, then what hope is there? What hope is there? You are unfaithful. But praise be to God that the Lord is faithful. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. Now it shall come to pass, 
when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Israel is to call to mind the blessings and the curses. Right? When they're driven off into a distant land, when they are separated from the Lord, they are to call to mind the blessings and the curses. Right? Remember the happiness, the blessings of life with God. Remember how good it is with God. Remember the curses. Right? What is life like? How miserable life is like when you are separated from God. Remember that. Remember the prodigal son, the, the younger son in the story, he remembered how happy he was back at his father's house. There was food. Right? I was known. I was welcomed. I was alive. And then he also realizes his curse. He's out of money. He's out of work. He is friendless. He is dying. He looks up and the pig farts. And he weeps. I want to go home. He recognizes that this is death. He repents and he turns to his father. Just like Israel and you must turn to your heavenly father. And the prodigal father, the Lord your God, is already planning to forgive, planning to restore, to show compassion, to return you home. That's what we've got to remember. But maybe, maybe you've, you think that you've sinned too much. Maybe that you've gone too far, that the Lord can't bring you back or show compassion on you or restore you. Look at verse 4. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. Isn't this good news? You sin, and in your rebellion, your stumpy little sinful legs are running away from God. But it doesn't matter how far you run in your sin, God's arm is not too short to grab hold of you and to bring you back. You cannot, cannot out-sin God's grace to forgive you. Give me an amen on that. Right? Amen. Isn't that good news? You cannot out-sin God's grace to be able to go after you and bring you back. So, what have you done? Where have you gone? From there, right, wherever you're at, remember the blessings and the curses. Remember that the Lord your God is your Father. Hear the voice that you must turn. Repent. Obey the Lord with all your heart. With, all, with your heart. But the question is, wait a minute. 
I got a sinful heart. I got an unfaithful heart. I got a deceptive heart. I got a wicked heart. How can my heart turn and obey God with all my heart? How can I do that? Well, because God promises to change your heart. Look at verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Your heart needs something done to it. It needs heart surgery, a radical amputation. It needs circumcision, which is kind of an awkward metaphor. I was actually listening to a sermon by John Piper that he was giving to a room full of, I think he said like 7,000 women preaching on this. He says, I've gotten past the awkwardness, talking about heart circumcision to a room full of women. And hopefully you guys can too. Because there is truth, there is good news in this, that God, the Lord himself, will circumcise your hearts. Because this is not, this is not a physical, but a spiritual circumcision. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 says, This is a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. When God circumcises your heart, then he cuts off, he cuts out that sin, that fleshly desire in your heart for sin. And this is God's all-gracious answer to how people with a callous, with deadening, with God-spurning hearts can love God with all of their hearts. How can you love God with all your heart? Well, God cuts the deadness away. God does for man what man cannot do for himself. Earlier in Deuteronomy 10, God told Israel, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff neck no longer. And a faithful Israelite would hear this and wonder, So how do I apply this one? (laughs) How do you circumcise your heart? And you would realize that he can. The Lord alone is able to set a man's heart right. What is impossible for us, wholehearted obedience, God gives. And that is grace. That is grace to you. That is grace to your children. And this heart that is circumcised by the Lord is in a heart that loves the Lord. That is the result of what God does. Verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Remember, that's the first and the greatest commandment. God's going to give you the heart to obey. And this obedience keeps spreading. Verse 8, Deuteronomy 30, he says, And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all the commandments which I command you today. And with the obedience of God comes God's blessings. It says in your work, in your marriage, in your children, and it will be for good. Why? Because God is once again 
going to rejoice over you as he rejoiced over your fathers if you will obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So you can obey the Lord. You can turn to the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul because the Lord has turned your heart. Here's the commandment. He says, go, love the Lord with your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. He's like, ugh, I can't with my heart. So God gives you what you need. God gives the command, and then God gives what you need in order to obey that command. Love God with all your heart, and you can do this because God has done it for you. And remember, we've got to remember that all men begin in the reality of Deuteronomy 29.4 that we can't see, that we can't hear, because God has not given us a heart to perceive, to understand, let alone obey. Just you and your ability, you are spiritually dead. Your heart is hard, your eyes are blind, your ears are deaf. But when God puts his heart, put his words, not on tablets of stone or, or just in pages of the Bible, he says he will put his word in your heart, then you cannot... You're not only going to love God, but you will love God. Why? Because it says that the word of God is near you. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 through 14. It says, this commandment that I have commanded you today to obey. It says, it is not too mysterious, nor is it too far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea, that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. So that way you can do it. He's saying that the obedience to this commandment is not out there. He's saying there's no excuses. Just imagine that. So take take one of the the commandments that we have in this law. Children, fifth commandment, what is it? Honor your father and your mother. Very good. Gavin, good work, man. Other children, you should learn that one. What is the fifth commandment? honor your father and your mother, right? Moses says, don't say, "Mm, I would obey my father and my mother, but obedience is up in heaven, right? And I would have to have like a rocket ship to take off and go up to heaven, and then I could get obedience and come down and do it, right? But they're Israelites, and there's no such thing as rocket ships at this point. It's like, "Mm, sorry, I can't obey, He says, no, 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 that's not an excuse, right? Obedience to this commandment is not way up in heaven, way beyond your reach. It's not across the Pacific Ocean, right? Where is it? The word is right here. The word is near. The word is in your mouth, 
and it is in your heart so you can obey. Why? Because you're also thinking, man, it's like, ooh, even though it's here, it's close, I know I can obey. I can honor my parents. Honest reflection, I don't. There's got to be more good news than just saying, yeah, it's close. You can do it. There's good news because the word is Jesus. In Romans 10, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 and 4, and he points, as, he points at Jesus. He says, Jesus is the answer. How can people be righteous? How can you be faithful? It's because of Jesus. It is only by faith in the righteousness of Jesus. You think about righteousness. Righteousness is so important because God is righteous. And no one, no man can be with God unless he is also righteous. If you want to be with God, you must be righteous. And then Paul, in Romans chapter 10, outlines you got two options for righteousness. Either you have self-righteousness or Christ's righteousness. And self-righteousness is from obedience to the law. you got to do the work to keep doing the law. And the righteousness from Christ is from Christ's obedience to the law that he has given to you, that you receive by faith. Right, so righteousness is required to get to heaven. Two options. Either you enter it through your own righteousness or through Christ's righteousness. And it's not a deep mystery of, of what's going to get you there. Right? Honor your father and mother. To be able to fulfill that commandment on your own, it's got to be perfect. Right? So that means, have you ever rolled your eyes at your parents? Mm. Eh. Right? You're off. Right? You have failed to perfectly keep the law. Right? Have you ever been disobedient to your mom? Have you ever scoffed at your dad? If you're banking on your righteousness to get you into heaven, then you are without hope. But Christ has come and he has perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. He's obeyed all of it. But Paul contrasts with the righteousness that, that Jesus provides for those who believe. So he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and adds his commentary. He says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Romans 10, 6 through 8. It says that obedience to the covenant is not too hard. It's not too hard because Christ has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Right? Jesus has been perfect. He's been a perfect son. He has been a perfectly 
obedient son who has honored his parents, who has honored his father. He's got the fifth commandment down, that righteousness. And then he gives you his righteousness. And how has he done this? How is Jesus our righteousness? And it's through his incarnation. And it's through his resurrection. Paul says, through Moses, he says, Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Because Jesus has come down. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. The word who is Jesus is not far off, but the word became a little baby. Jesus was born. Jesus drew near. Jesus in his incarnation has drawn near to man so that way he can bring us back to God. He doesn't just come near to us in our proximity. He becomes like us. He becomes like us in our sin, yet without sin. And so he goes onto the cross, and Jesus died for your sin, for your unfaithfulness, for your deceitful heart. And on the cross, he took on your curse and he died and he was buried in the ground and then the word rose up and the word was resurrected and then he gives you his righteousness right he who knew no sin became sin for us that in him you might become the righteousness of god So what do you do? What do you do? Believe that the faithful God deals with your unfaithfulness. And he did that through the incarnation of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus. So what's your response? Your response is that you put your faith in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, the word of faith is what we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word is near to you because Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your Lord. Do you feel like you are too far from God. Well, remember that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is with you through his incarnation. Do you believe that your sins are too great? Remember that Jesus is your righteousness through your resurrection. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your Lord. That means that Jesus comes to you right where you are, right right where you are at. So where are you this morning? Where are you? Maybe you have never believed. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard the good news of the gospel, that Jesus forgives your sins by dying on the cross, 
being buried and being raised, and then he gives you his righteousness. And you totally do not deserve this gift. If you are hearing this, and you say, yes, my heart is wicked, desperately wicked. I hate my sin. I don't want to live under the curse of God anymore. And you hear this, what do you do? You repent, and you look to Jesus. Say, I believe that Jesus dealt with my sin on, his, on the cross, and that then he gives me his righteousness. You repent, and you believe. Where are you? Maybe you are, you've grown up in the covenant. You've heard the sermons. You know about the blessings. You know about the curses. But your heart has turned from the Lord. You've gone off and you've served other gods. And maybe you don't realize that you are under the curse of the Lord, but you do know that you are far from the Lord. What do you do? Remember the blessings, the curses. Remember the voice of your Father who promises to bring you back, to call you home, to rejoice over you. Where are you? Maybe you're close. Your desire is to be faithful. You do want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you still sin. What do you do? You look to Jesus, who is still your Savior, who is still the Lord. He is still Emmanuel. He is still your righteousness through his resurrection. Wherever you're at, what do you need? You need Jesus. You need Jesus who is the end of the law. You need Jesus who is the hope of the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves sinners. doesn't matter where you are. The answer is the same. You turn to Jesus. Right. Moses concludes with fire. Right. He concludes with blazing fire. This is the word of a dying man to men to women and children. He says, I am preaching to you so that way you may not die. Moses says, see, I have set before you today life and good. Death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. Moses' desire is that you would choose life, that you would choose good, that you would choose Jesus. But know, my friends, that you can also choose death. You can choose evil. Moses warns that if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you will surely perish. If you do not choose life, then you choose death. If you do not choose goodness, you choose evil. Jesus is your life. 
Jesus is your goodness. And God speaks to, to the congregation of Israel that you have seen, you have heard God's wonders. You have heard God's words. Many of you, many of us here have grown up just like the congregation of Israel. And Moses pleads with you. I plead with you. Do not harden your heart. Do not turn your heart. What better way to end Deuteronomy than with the words of Moses? He says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your word has come. Thank you that your word has come in Deuteronomy, in the Gospels, in Romans. Lord, we thank you that your word has come in Jesus. Father, I pray that your spirit would be working in all of us to recognize our own sin and our desperate need of a Savior. And so now, Lord, we turn to your Son. So at the uh, CCD vision meeting last Sunday, we discussed that one area we want to focus on is hospitality. So we believe that hospitality is a vital way for Christ Church to advance the mission of Jesus in Moscow. Why do we think that? Well, because hospitality is what Jesus did. We know that Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus came eating and drinking. We see, especially in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus is either coming from a meal, at a meal, or he is going to a meal. He modeled in his life one of the ways that the kingdom of God will advance. And that is through hospitality. The central table of hospitality in a Christian's life is at the Lord's table. Right here, God shows hospitality to his people. And the meal is very simple. You got bread and wine. But it costs the host deeply. The body of Jesus. The shed blood of Jesus. Here we eat and we drink with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came eating and drinking, and Jesus still comes eating and drinking. He does this here week after week as we renew covenant. But Jesus also comes into your homes as you eat and drink together with gladness. He comes to your Sabbath feast when your kids are piled around the table, when you honor your wife with compliments. He comes when you microwave leftovers with thankfulness. He comes when you share a meal with your roommates. He comes when you give the last-minute invite to the visitor. 
He comes in your parish discipleship group, when you cheerfully make bag lunches for your children, when you squeeze the straggler in around your Thanksgiving table. Jesus comes. At this table, Jesus shows us, shows hospitality to us. The sinners that he has sought and saved, the lost that he has found, those he redeemed and forgiven. We have received God's hospitality, and so we give hospitality. But now, once again, Jesus has come eating and drinking with us. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the hospitality that we taste and see here at this table. Father, I pray that as we eat and drink, Lord, that you would stir in us a desire to be like you, that we would eat and drink in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our town, and that your gospel would advance through this simple, simple means. That would be all for your glory. And amen. Amen. So the good, the good news is that the Lord is faithful, even when you are not faithful. That's the good news for you. But also throughout Deuteronomy, the promise is that this is also good news for your children, for your descendants. When your children are unfaithful, the Lord is faithful. And that's especially encouraging when some of your own children are prime squawkers at the end of the service. It is good news for all of us. It is good news for you, for your children, for your children's children, even to a thousand generations. The Lord is faithful. Now receive with believing hearts the benediction of the Lord, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessings of God, the Father Almighty, the Son and Holy Spirit, be upon you and remain with you always. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.